Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. I don't think we lost too many people, so that's good. Uh, my name is Eric, and I get to be the pastor here. And I just want to say again, welcome. So glad that you are here. Whether it's your first time, you've been coming for a long time, or you used to go here, but you live in Woodbury now, and we're so glad that you are back, McDonough's. Uh, so anyways, uh, we're going to get going this morning. Uh, if you make in your household over $40,000 a year, combined income in your household, $40,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of the richest people in the world. Don't you feel amazing now? Yeah, yeah, it probably doesn't help you at all feel any better about your financial status. And we'll talk about why is that. Well, if you are in the top 4% wealthiest people in the world, that if you make at least $40,000 in your household, uh, you are wealthy. <laughs> and so we're going to talk, what does that mean that we are wealthy? Well, rich people, wealthy people have some weird uh, kind of side effects. Have you noticed that? That people who have money can be a little weird. Like, rich people live in denial. Like, if you're tall, like Casey, like Casey never denies that he's tall. It's not like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm a short guy. Like, no, you know, or like, like if you're, you know, um, an introvert, like you never deny it, like, oh, no, I'm not actually an introvert. No, you tell everyone. Well, that's extroverts, actually. I'm extroverted, like everyone, here I am, you know, like you, you don't deny certain things about you, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan or different things, like you want to tell everyone about, you know, who you are, but if you're rich, you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not rich. That guy over there, he makes way more money than me. He's rich, but I'm not rich. Wealthy people, we like to deny that we are rich. And if you're in the top 4% of the world, we are rich. Number two, rich people are plagued by discontent. We're plagued by discontent. See, what happens if you have an appetite for something and then you feed it? What does that appetite do? It grows, right? How many of you guys have had those amazing little bunt cakes we had last night at our volunteer banquet? Yeah. What happens when you have one? Are you satisfied? No, like when you have a donut, what do you want? You want more, that's right. If you have an appetite and you feed it, you want more. You know, uh, it, what's crazy is I've heard stories of wealthy people, and there's these really rich people, and they do the craziest things. They will have a car that works perfectly. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a car that works, and they'll drive it to a dealership, give them the car that works fine, give them more money to get another car, and now the dealership has their car and their money, and they made this great exchange. Like, can you believe that? I've even heard of people, like me, who, like, have a kitchen that works, and can you believe what they do? They actually tear everything out, and they put the same kind of stuff in. Like, I know, it's crazy. You know, it, uh, just rich people, like, we do crazy stuff. See, when you have stuff, you want more of it. When you have stuff, you want more and better stuff. See, rich people can be weird, but my desire for you is that you won't be weird. Amen? <laughs> I want you all, honestly, to be wealthy, to be blessed, to work hard, make good money, but I don't want you to be weird. And I want to share a warning that Jesus gives about money this morning. Why do preachers like me talk about money? If you're here and you're visiting, you're like, man... All they talk about is money? No, I don't talk about this very often, but why do preachers like me talk about money? Because Jesus did. Jesus talked about money a lot. We've been going through the book of Luke. Uh, this is actually week 29 in a row we've been in the book of Luke. And if you've noticed, Jesus hardly ever talks about heaven and hell. Hardly ever. But he talks about money a whole lot. In fact, of the 39 parables that Jesus told, 11 of them 
are about money, about wealth, about our possessions. Uh, about 25% of Jesus' teaching deals with money and possessions and wealth. Jesus talked about money. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Why did he talk about it? Well, because the chief competitor for our Heavenly Father is not the devil, it's money. See, for most of us, it's not like, all right, who am I going to serve today? Am I going to serve the devil or am I going to serve God? We're not like, oh, is it, is it Christmas or Halloween? I don't know, you know? Like, it's between God and money. See, the chief competitor for our heart is not little devil sitting on our, you know, shoulder or us like going and doing some weird ceremonies with black robes on or something. The chief competitor for our heart is money. And our Heavenly Father wants to have our heart. Because God says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And where your treasure is, that's where your hope is going to be. And God wants your heart. God wants my heart. And God wants to be our hope. He doesn't want our hope to be in money. Well, perhaps this morning what you need isn't more wealth, but what you need is more wisdom. See, if it was foolishness that added to your debt and your financial struggles, just getting more money without wisdom isn't going to fix anything. You're just going to be in the same situation. You're going to continue to make the same mistakes. How you and I deal with wealth and our possessions is a huge theme throughout both the Old and the New Testament. The Old and New Testament combined have about 800 passages that are dealing with wealth. This includes talking about saving, spending, investing, tithing, running a business, running a family budget. And Jesus, like we said, talked about money a lot as well. And this includes this section of Luke we find ourselves in today. We're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or on your Bible app, or the scriptures will be here behind me. Jesus has been teaching, and he's been sharing these short stories with big ideas. And let's find out what happens today. Uh, Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd, someone he's teaching, said to him, teacher, tell my brother to, div to divide the inheritance with me. It's like, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We're going to see there's three parts of this story. First, there's a request. There's a request this guy's make. Then there's a refusal and then a rebuke. We're going to see a request, a refusal, and a rebuke. So first we see this man is making a request. He's saying, Jesus, tell this my brother, to divide the inheritance with me. Now, why would this guy make this request of Jesus? Why would he even ask Jesus to do this? Well, have you ever sat in a sermon, maybe here or somewhere else, and you're like, man, I wish my husband was here today because he needs to hear this message. Have you ever thought that? Like, you're somewhere and you're like, man, I, I wish so-and-so was here because they need to hear this. I'm good, but they need to hear this, you know? This guy has been listening to Jesus preach and teach, and Jesus all the time is talking about the need to be generous, to give to others, to have a generous heart, a generous spirit. And so this brother's like, man, you know who needs to hear this message about generosity? My brother. Like, he's not thinking about himself. He's like, my brother needs to hear this teaching. He's so used to hearing Jesus talk about being, uh, being generous that he says, Jesus, you need to go tell my brother to be generous. The reason Jesus talks so much about money is that being generous with your money is at the heart of any, everything that a Christian is and does. The being generous with your money is at the heart 
of everything that a Christian is and does. See, generosity is the opposite of greed. Here's a good definition of greed. Greed is the assumption that everything that has been placed in my hands is for my consumption. The assumption that everything that has been given to me, all the blessings, all the wealth that God has given to me, all my skills, all my talents, all the time that I have, the assumption that it's in there for my consumption. No, it's all for me. See, being generous is at the heart of everything that a Christian is and does. What do you mean, Eric? What do you mean everything a Christian is and does? Well, there's like three main Christian virtues at the heart of Christianity. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. I think sometimes why we don't give, why we aren't generous, comes back to those things. We lack faith. We think, is God really going to take care and meet all my needs if I give away like a, a percentage of my income? Like That doesn't really seem very smart. I don't know if I can trust that God's going to take care of me, so I need to make sure I kind of take care of myself. That's a lack of faith. Hope. Where do you get your sense of worth from? Where do you get your hope from? Is it all the activities your kids can do and vacations and the sort of you know, uh, restaurants you can eat in, the clothes you can wear? Are you trusting in your stuff or the one who provides the stuff? Why would I trust in riches instead of the one who richly provides? Amen? And love. I think one of the reasons we don't give is that just honestly we lack sympathy and sensitivity to the unbelievable needs out there. I am guilty of this. It's like I don't even want to know about all the need in the world because then maybe I'll be motivated to give more. I think sometimes we, we lack love, and we don't want to know about all the needs, and that causes us not to give, not to be generous. See, giving is a reality check on all those virtues, faith, hope, love. How do you build your faith? You give. How do you show your hope is not in stuff or your bank account? You give. How do you show that you love others? You give. It's also at the heart of what Christians do. In the early church, in Acts chapter 4, it said that the world knew that something amazing was happening because the early church came together and they were so generous that no one had any needs among them, that they pooled their resources together to provide for each other. They showed outrageous generosity to, to each other. And that showed the generosity that God showed by sending his son into the world. But it was by that early Christian community showing great compassion and love for each other that really changed the world. See, giving isn't just a part of Christian faith that's kind of just over here. It's just kind of part of the Christian life. Giving is at the heart of Christianity. So you can't love God, you can't love your brother without giving. Giving is at the heart of Christianity. That's why this guy asked Jesus to do something. He's like, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Because Jesus was always talking about being generous, about being someone who's giving. Because giving is at the heart of Christianity. So first we see this man is making a request. So how did Jesus respond? You think Jesus says, hey, I, I've come to, to judge the world, so of course he's going to mediate this, this controversy. Verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? I love that. I love Jesus' response. Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Jesus refuses this request. This guy had one shot to talk to Jesus. And what does he talk about? 
talks about money. Because that was at the forefront of his mind. Maybe you and I aren't so different, because what often is at the forefront of our mind? Our bank account, our budget, our finances, our money. If you're a little bit like me, maybe what do you spend time praying about? Financial needs, you know, having enough. That's what we talk to God about a lot. And this guy is consumed with coveting, and Jesus says, watch out. Don't covet. See, apparently his father had died, and they're splitting up the family inheritance. And he's worried his brother's going to get more than him. Have you ever seen coveting destroy a family? When money comes in, there's money involved, people get really weird. <laughs> That's where the heart is exposed. See, these brothers should be grieving together. They should be loving each other. They should be lamenting the loss of their father. They should be working things out. Instead, they're looking for attorneys to make things you know, litigious and contentious. So Jesus says, guard against all covetousness. What is coveting? Coveting isn't just having possessions. It's the loving of possessions, which then results in the hoarding of possessions. It's not just having things. It's about loving them so that you hoard it and you just get very closed with everything and your fists are very tight. Loving means you can't stop thinking about it. You can't live without it. You absolutely have to have it. Even if you don't have the money, you're going to go into debt because you need these things. We call that debt. Depending on what study you read, uh, I've kind of read some conflicting things, but the average American has somewhere between seven dollars and $15,000 in credit card debt. That's crazy. It's because we covet things in our heart that we can't even afford. And Jesus says coveting is a sin. But we don't really believe that. We're like, eh, I don't think so. Because our culture has a different word for coveting. What do we call it? We call it advertising, right? <laughs> that's what advertising is. We don't use the word coveting. We say advertising, marketing, that's what this is. See, the whole point of advertising is to get you to covet. Because companies know that if you're content, then you won't covet. If you're content, you're not going to covet. But then you won't buy stuff. they got to get you to covet. And the pathway to that is to make you feel discontent. See, if you are content, you won't covet. If you are content, you won't covet. If you're content, you'll be glad for what you have. And someone else can get a new boat or a cabin or a new house, and you're happy for them. You don't have to have it. You don't have to keep up with your neighbors, keep up with the Joneses. You're not jealous for it. You're not obsessing over it. You're not going to get in debt to keep up with the people around you. But if you're coveting, everything changes. You're like, oh, I need to do that. I need to live the same lifestyle that my friends do. See, advertising exists to create in you a sense of discontentedness. That's why advertising exists. Otherwise, the whole economy shuts down. See, all of a sudden, you need things you didn't even know you exist, that existed, right? Done that, like, you didn't even know something existed, and all of a sudden you see it on TV, and you're like, oh, I need that. My life won't be complete until I have that. Like, car commercials. Like, like, it's like, I got a perfectly good car. It works. It's 14 years old. That's great. My car gets me from point A to point B. Then you see new car commercials, and you're like, oh, my car doesn't have those speakers. My car doesn't have that. Cool. Have you seen those over-the-top cameras they have now for those? Like, how, do, how do they do that, Ryan? I don't even understand. Like how you back up at satellites or drones. I don't know. Uh, but it's like, I need that. Or like, you're like, my car doesn't have seat warmers. I need seat warmers. It's Minnesota. It's cold. And I got to keep my, you know, like my muffin warm next to me on the passenger side of the seats. So I need some seat warmers. I have to have them. You didn't even know you needed it until you saw that those existed. Jesus says, guard your heart against all coveting. It's a real problem. 
And the way we guard our heart against coveting is by worshiping God, by being thankful for the things that he has given us. See, coveting, Jesus says, is the worship of an idol. It's actually idol worship. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. It's like bad passion for evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Greed is not good. Greed is idolatry. See, a lot of people right now, we haven't dealt with our greed problem. So Jesus is going to tell a short story with a big idea to illustrate his point. Verse 16, he says this. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what happened in this short story that Jesus tells? There's this man who acquired great wealth. He's in the top 4% in the world. And he did so apparently in a way that wasn't sinful. It wasn't like he was a bad business, bad business project, uh, practices. He had a business, his business flourished. Is it a sin to have a business that flourishes, yes or no? Yes. No, amen. <laughs> Many of you sh should pursue a business that flourishes. You should try to make money. If you're good at it, do it. So his sin was not becoming wealthy. The sin was that he didn't worship God with his wealth. He worshiped his wealth. And God says that he was foolish. Let's compare the average home in America over the last 50 years. In 1950, the average home was 1,000 square feet. In 1970, the average home grew to be 1,500 square feet. Went up by 50%. By the year 2000, the average home size had risen to be 2,200 square feet. But in the last 30 years, the average family size has gone down 25%. Less people in our houses, and our houses are up 50%. <laughs> Is it a sin to have a bigger house? No, not necessarily. If you're a good steward with your resources, then you can actually afford it. Now, some of us, we want a bigger house, or like this guy, a bigger barn, and that's not enough. Even though we have closet organizers and storage spaces and we have a garage, if that wasn't enough, Americans, we invented this thing that the rest of the world can't even fathom called storage facilities. This is amazing. It's, an, it's a barn addition, in addition to our bigger barns. Do you know the U.S. has five times as many storage facilities as Starbucks? Like, if you think there's Starbucks everywhere, there's five times as many storage facilities as Starbucks in the U.S. Like, that's a lot. Now, truth be told, there are some legitimate uses for a storage facility. If you have a business and you're storing product, like that's awesome. But for most people, they're thinking, oh, my house is filled up with stuff. I don't think I even need it, but I want to hold on to it. And so let's get a storage space and just kind of store the rest of our stuff that we can't fit in our ginormous house that's <laughs> twice as big as houses were 50, 50 years ago. And here's what's really interesting when I thought about storage facilities is that to the rest of the world, what we call storage facilities actually the size of most homes in the rest of the world, about the same size, and actually made out of the same materials, cinder block, a tin roof, electricity, no indoor plumbing, no bathroom. 
So where we stick all our extra junk, <laughs> we don't really need, that's where most people stick their families in the rest of the world. So we are wealthy. Even if it doesn't feel like it, compared to the rest of the world. And so when Jesus gives teaching on how to be wise and wealthy, and he speaks to the challenges of rich people and using your resources for good and not evil, he's speaking to us. Because in the eyes of the rest of the world, what they would call a home, we just stick our extra stuff into. Well, we'll start with a request. We get a refusal from Jesus, and now we're going to see a rebuke. What does God say to this wealthy man? He says, you fool, you fool. Now, I tried to, to figure this out, and I couldn't, so if you can find it out, let me know the answer, but I'm pretty sure, uh, I, I looked in the Bible, this is the only time God calls someone a fool. I think so, so if I'm wrong, tell me afterwards, but he says this wealthy man, you fool, you fool. See, money made this man a fool. This man lived as if this world was all there is. He didn't live with any thought towards future generations, towards investing in heaven. This man lived for stuff. If you spend all your money on barns and savings, does that last? No. There's only one thing that's going to last forever. Invest in people instead of stuff. Invest in people. See, people are going to last forever. Stuff is going to fade away. Bank accounts are going to fade away. Everything is going to fade away at some point. But people, people are going to live somewhere forever. People are going to be forever. Invest in people, not in stuff. Is it a sin to make money? No. Is it a sin to have nice stuff? No. Is it a sin to live in a decent house? No. But here's the real issue for this guy. Listen to what he says. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. This guy worships a trinity of me, myself, and I. That's his trinity. For us, the question is, are we the center of our life? Are we the center of our life? Are all of our possessions just for our own consumption? That's it. Nothing towards God. Nothing towards the poor. Nothing towards anyone. Jesus says that is foolish. See, the American dream is God's nightmare. The American dream says, get more and more for yourself and build up your own wealth. God says, that's not the way to live. So God kills this guy. That's pretty serious. And he stands before God and he has to give account. <laughs> He's like, what was that, God? What did I do with all the wealth that you gave me and, and, and the resources you put in my hand? Well, I bought a lot of toys. I had a lot of fun. I didn't really give generously to the cause of God. I didn't help the poor. I didn't buy groceries for that single mom. I didn't do anything. I just kind of blew all my money on that trinity of me, myself, and I. Some of you might be saying, that's right, God. You get that rich guy, those rich, evil people. <laughs> like, if God gave me a bunch of wealth, I'd be generous with it. Let me say this. If you're not generous now, you won't be generous if God gave you all of a sudden a bunch of wealth. Because God's probably not going to bless you with an abundance of resources if you're not currently generous the Bible who says, he who's entrusted with a little can be trusted with much. And this is the context of finances. See, he who is trustworthy with a little bit of resources can be entrusted with more. If you're generous and you're giving with a little bit, then God's going to give you more and more. If you can't handle what God has given you now, why in the world is he going to give you more resources to steward? Derek Carr is a quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. I'm a football fan. And uh, if you caught his press conference this week, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, but he, they, he got the biggest contract 
in uh, football. A $125 million contract over the next couple years. That's a lot of money. So what are you going to do? Are you going to splurge? He's like, no, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. Like, that's okay. And uh, what, what's the first thing you're going to do with all that money? He's like, well, I'm going to tithe it. What? That's a lot of money. He said, yeah, you know, when I got $700, you know, uh, you know on, on a scholarship in college, I tithed on that. And so if I did that with 700, why wouldn't I do that with 125 million? He says, what I'm excited about is this money's not just going to bless me, it's going to bless people around the world as I, as I tithe it and as I give it away and to bless people all over. I think that's amazing. And I think God rewards when we're generous and we're good stewards with little, God says, yeah, there's someone I want to invest more resources in because they're looking out for others and they're wanting to bless other people. I'm not saying we give in order to get, but we want to be good stewards and good stewards are most likely to have God entrust you more with your, first, your stewardship. It's about what you do with what you get and how you're going to invest it into people, how you're going to invest it into God's kingdom. And Jesus tells the people at the end of the story, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The actual literal Greek translation, which is kind of awkward in our English, uh, so they don't translate this way, but the literal translation would mean you don't exist in these things. You don't exist in these things. Jesus says, my job is to tell you what your life is. My job is to show you what your life truly consists in. It's not in these things. I'm not here to help you get things that you think you need for your life. Jesus says, I'm here to be your life. I've come to set your life on fire. I'm not here to help you with your agenda and just, God bless me what I'm doing. I'm here to give you a whole new agenda. You realize who Jesus is? The man in this parable, we call him the rich fool. He stored up everything for himself. But Jesus on the cross is the ultimate fool. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. Because instead of storing up things for himself, Jesus emptied himself of his glory, of what he was due in heaven, so that you and I could be filled up. And every other religion says, store up good deeds, work hard to accrue more and more things kind of in your ledger, so that maybe at the end, your good deeds can outweigh your bad. Jesus, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not about storing up good deeds, but you know, trying to earn something. Jesus says, empty yourself, give it away, so that you can be filled with Jesus, that you can be filled with his Holy Spirit, that you can be filled with God, and then God will bless us. Well, sometimes when a pastor like me talks about money, the question we usually give is, well, what do you mean? Like, well, how much should I give? Should I tithe? And uh, we could go into that conversation, but I think what the Bible is really talking about is God wants us to be generous, to be a cheerful giver, and to be a sacrificial giver. Now, I think uh, the tithe is a great place to start. That's what was taught in the Old Testament, and uh, really that was about 10%, kind of pre-tax. You had all these other kind of giving on top of it. So actually, the ancient Old Testament people gave away about 25%, which is a pretty high percentage. So uh, that's pretty amazing. Then the New Testament, they get even more radical, and they just give away 100%. Uh, so 10% is not too bad compared to 25% or 100%. Uh, but what's really interesting is some people did some studies, and the average American family makes about $50,000 uh, in their home. And they kind of figured out, what does the average American family give? 
See, the thing is that most Americans, we don't plan out our giving. We give a little to, you know, this charity, and then we go show up at this banquet for a dinner, and we hear about orphans in Africa. I'm like, oh, my heart's moving. I'm going to give. And, I, and then we're at church, and it's like, oh, you know, I actually give a little towards this. But a lot of us, we don't sit down at the beginning of the year when we set our budgets, if we have a budget, that's a whole other conversation, and say, this is the percent we're going to give this year as a family. You just kind of, we kind of figure out at the end when we do our taxes, oh, I ended up giving about this much away. And the, the average Christian family uh, gives away about 6%, 6%, um, just kind of by accident, just kind of giving here to there, but they really don't set out to do that. So I think if you're, if you're new to like giving and, and, and setting a percentage, I think that's a great place to just start. Just kind of be average, be kind of middle of the pack, 6%, and, but don't do it by accident, do it intentionally. Say, we're going to set aside maybe this percent. I, I think the key here is to be intentional. Be intentional with your money. Don't operate under the assumption that everything that is in my hands is for my own consumption. God wants you to save. God wants you to spend on your family, but God also wants you to give away. And it's about being intentional with that. It's about being generous, sacrificial giving. And honestly, that's going to be different for every one of us. See, for a single mom who's barely making it, who can barely pay the bills, anything is generous. Jesus told a story. He pointed to someone in the temple, a widow who gave away two, uh, just the smallest denomination coins possible. He says, that woman was more generous than everyone else who gave even though they gave way more money because what she gave was all that she had. See, God isn't so impressed by dollar amounts. God is more impressed with percentages. God is more impressed when it costs us something, when it's sacrificial giving. See, if you're a single mom and you can barely pay the bills, anything you can give is generous. And we don't expect you to carry the load of the church financially. In fact, the church and our members are here to lovingly help and support you. So what percentage looks like for a retiree on a fixed income or someone who's you know, uh, working class poor, that number might be a very small percentage, and it's still very sacrificial. But for someone, there's people in here who are very wealthy, very affluent. 10% really is nothing. It doesn't change the way you live. It's ah, just not a big deal. So sacrificial giving for you might be much higher than 10%. I think God wants us to give in a way that it changes the way we live. That we can't buy everything we want when we want it. We can't go on every vacation we want when we want to go because we're sacrificing something. Again, that might be 1% for you. That might be a big percent, depending on how much God has blessed you. God wants us to be generous. God wants us to be sacrificial in our giving. And God wants us to be a cheerful giver. The question isn't how much money do I want to give to God, it's how much money do I get to keep of the resources and the money that God has entrusted to me. See, that's a great thing. I don't know about you, but like most of my bills I pay, I'm not cheerful about them, right? It's like, it's like I don't want to pay this bill. But giving to God and his people and seeing people meet Jesus, seeing lives change and seeing the opportunity to make disciples and plant churches, that's cheerful. That's a good thing. That's a kingdom investment. There are people that are going to be with Jesus forever because of the generosity that you and I have by giving to God's cause and giving to God's kingdom. Invest in people, not in stuff. Can you imagine what would happen if every Christian decided to do this? 
every Christian decided, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be sacrificial in my giving. I'm going to be a cheerful giver. I'll tell you what happened. That when you pre-decide something in your heart, when you say, I'm going to look at my finances, I'm going to actually have a budget, you're going to give more. You're going to save more. You're going to be more intentional about what you spend your money on. You start to watch more closely what you're spending your money on. And as Christians, I think we'd be, mo- we'd be known more, not for what we're against, but the fact that we are generous, that we love, that we take care of people. This has more potential to change the world than anything else. Because extraordinary generosity is extraordinary powerful. Extraordinary generosity is extraordinarily powerful. Extraordinary generosity is extraordinarily powerful. People see that and they're like, I want to be a part of that. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. God wants us to be generous. I want to invite you to see what God can do through you as you decide to be intentional with your money. Now, I know when pastors like me or anyone talks about money, it's like, I don't know, this is getting really uncomfortable. Like, any other topic is better. Because we get just weird about our money, about our finances. My heart for you as a pastor is that you don't hear, give to us, give to us, we need your money. My heart as your pastor is that you would be generous. My heart for you is that God would have your heart. Not money, not possessions. That you wouldn't be tight-fisted, that you'd be open-handed about the things that God has given you that your stuff wouldn't hold you back. You'd live open-handed, a generous life, giving away and seeing what God can do through you. My heart for you is that you would sacrifice. You would show your love for others by giving. That you would show that your hope is in God, not in stuff in your bank account by giving. You would show you have faith in God by giving. See what God can do through you by being generous. Be generous with your money, with the possessions that God has given in your hand. And this week, I want you to be intentional. If you're married, sit down with your spouse, or if you're in a relationship, and say, all right, this is awkward. I'd rather talk about anything. I'd rather talk, you know, have the talk with my kids than this talk right now. (laughs) Amen? Yeah. But you're going to sit down with your spouse or your, your partner, whoever, and say, all right, let's talk about money. No! You know, and, uh, and say, we need to be intentional. What percent are we going to be intentional about giving away? And maybe that's a whole radical concept idea to you. Start somewhere. Half a percent, one percent, something. And I encourage you to do the same thing about your saving. I think a really great kind of just uh, guideline to live is try to live on 80% of what God has given you, of, of, the, of the money that comes in your hands, and to give away 10% and to save 10%. I think that's a great plan to live on. If, if you have a lot of debt, then try to live on 70%, put 10% towards debt, 10% towards saving, 10% towards giving. And if you've been living on 100 or 110 or 120% of what you make, that's a whole radical concept. And that's like just mind-blowing right now. And so get to that point where you can be saving, paying off debt, giving, we don't want to be people that live in the assumption that everything that God has given us is for our own consumption. That God doesn't want us just to be a reservoir that he pours into us all the possessions and wealth and blessings. 
but he wants each one of us to be a river. We can flow out and see what God can do through each one of us as we are generous. This isn't about just giving to Mosaic. This isn't about just giving to the church. This is about being generous. It's about being sacrificial, living for others. It's about being a cheerful giver, being excited to give to God, to give and help others. Would you stand with me? Be generous and see what God can do through you. I want to encourage you, tomorrow, on Monday, figure out a way, how can you be generous? KTS Radio does the drive-through Monday miracle, whatever it's called, but do that. Pay for someone behind you in Starbucks. If you go to Starbucks, you know, on, on Monday morning for a coffee, hey, I want to pay them, you know, behind me. Or when you're in line someplace at a restaurant, or, you know, pick up someone's tab, or if you know a single mom or someone who's struggling, you give them a card next week with a gift card to, you know, for a grocery store or, or a gas card. Something. Start somewhere and be generous. Sit down and talk. How are we going to be intentional with our money? Saving, giving, paying off debt, not living in the assumption that everything that we have is just for our own consumption. And I think we'll be amazed at what God will do in our hearts and through us as we become more like God, who's the most generous giver of them all. That Jesus emptied himself, he didn't store up his own possessions for himself, so that we could have God's riches, his love, his mercy, his grace. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Would you pray with me? God, Thank you that uh, you didn't keep your wealth, you didn't keep your son um, for yourself, but God, that you gave, you gave until it hurt. Your son, Jesus, died on the cross, that he emptied himself so that we could be filled. God, thank you. So God, now we don't want to be like the rich fool who lives with the assumption that everything is just for our own consumption. God, we don't want to live uh, just hoarding and storing up everything for ourselves. God, we want to be generous. We want to be sacrificial in our giving. We want to be cheerful in our giving. God, we pray that we would be good stewards so that you can give more to us, so that we could uh, bless others more and more. Let us be rivers of blessing as you, as you flow through us, as you pour through us. God, we pray and ask you would, that we would see what you could do through us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.